if political conversation in this country has seemed a little unreal and hyper contentious lately, that might be by design. Today I'm talking to an expert on bots, the automated machines spewing comments onto the internet. Samuel Woolley is an Oxford researcher and the director of the Digital Intelligence Lab at the Institute for the Future. And he sees bots as a fundamental threat to, well, everything. I think that it's a direct challenge to how we think about truth and how we think about fact and how we think about objectivity. Sam Woolley tells me not only that 2016 was bad, but 2018 will be more of the same. Welcome to Bots and Ballots, a Yahoo News podcast looking at the intersection of politics and technology from Silicon Valley. I started Facebook, I run it, and I'm responsible for what happens here. This should be a wake-up call for the tech community. I did not know that Russian bots were promoting my campaign. The question is where and how did the Russians get into this? We are fighting the fake news. It's fake, phony, fake. Sam Woolley has watched bots for years. He watched them disrupt popular movements in Egypt, in Syria, in the South Korea presidential election. He watched them push for Brexit. And then he watched them jump into the 2016 presidential election in the United States. Sam doesn't think that we've seen the worst of this problem. I think that it's too late for 2018. I hate to be a pessimist, but uh, it's good that we're seeing some action around this stuff. But I don't think that we have our arms around the problem in, in any significant way in 2018. People ask me what I do, and I, I, my shorthand is, you know, all that fake news stuff. Um, well, that's what I, I research, and I've been studying it for about six years. In some ways, I guess I was thinking about this before it became the buzzword of this decade. <laughs> so take us to 2016. Um, can you conclusively say that bots changed the conversation? I can conclusively say that bots changed the flow of information during the 2016 election. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, my colleague Doug Gilbo at the University of Pennsylvania and I wrote a research paper called Computational Propaganda during the 2016 U.S. election, where we talked with people that have worked on campaigns that made and used bots in the United States. We also did a quantitative analysis of some of the most active bot accounts that we found on Twitter that were engaging in U.S. political discussion. These bots had an absolute effect upon the conversation in American politics. When you have the president of the United States retweeting or re-messaging or interacting with bot accounts, that affects public opinion. That affects communication. But what we've discovered as researchers is that hashtag Pizzagate or hashtag even Make America Great Again, or in some cases, hashtag Bernie, were driven up massively by automated accounts in attempts to do what I call manufacturing consensus, to give the illusion of popularity to a topic, to give the illusion of popularity to a candidate in order to create some kind of bandwagon effect. The goal is to subtly manipulate public opinion. It's not necessarily to like change the way that people vote. Even sometimes the goal is to confuse. So it's just to confuse people so that there's a, a void of information so that someone can fill it. How do you know somebody's a bot? So we tell if something's a bot by looking at a few different things. One is the amount of times it posts as an account in you know, an hour. So we, we look at the account and if it's posting every minute or so, then we can say, okay, that looks like it's most likely automated. If it's posting on a specific time schedule, but if it's posting every hour on the hour at the same exact minute. Um, and then another thing that we look at is the network surrounding the bot. So if it's social network 
is also very similar if the accounts aren't built out, if they don't have good profile pictures, if they don't seem real. That's kind of a subjective call in some ways. It's more qualitative, but we have certain heuristics that we, we sort of manage this analysis via. And uh, those are like, you know, are, do they look like stock photos? Um, looking at some of the qualitative metrics, uh, do they have broken English in their bios? Does it look like they might be made in Russia or China or some other country, Vietnam? Um, and then we look at the what we what we uh, research dorks call uh, semantic evidence as well. And so what that means basically is we look at the content of their posts. And so um, a lot of times botnets, a network of bots like a bot army, they exist to follow one another and to build each other up and make each other look legitimate. So they'll follow each other, they'll like each other's tweets, or they'll like each other's messages, or they'll re-message them. But they also sometimes tweet the exact same messages or, or send out the exact same messages on Facebook. And so you can kind of find out a lot about campaigns by, by searching for the same messages across different accounts. And uh, what they're trying to do in that circumstance is they're trying to drive up a certain idea or a certain hashtag in an attempt to get it to trend or to get people to pay attention to it. So what are you seeing ahead of the 2018 midterms? In my mind... You can almost look to any contested race going on in 2018 and see some degree of computational propaganda. That's how widespread this stuff is now. One of the things I've been looking at lately is the way that propaganda is getting used against some of the most pivotal contested elections in 2018. One of them is the election for the Jeff Flake Senate seat in Arizona. We've seen disinformation circulating about Joe Arpaio. There is some that gets used to knock him down or attack him, but the vast majority of it is used to build him up or build up the platform surrounding him as a candidate. Uh, it's, it's amplification. Okay, I'm going to pause the interview to jump in here for a minute. You may think that what Sam just said means that Sheriff Joe is using bots to boost his campaign. And I actually reached out to Sheriff Joe to see if I could get an answer to that question and didn't hear back. But the truth could be a lot more complicated, and it gets at the reason why these bots are so hard to stop and why it's so hard to figure out who's behind them. There's a lot of groups that may benefit from Sheriff Joe doing well. A lot of those may not be in Arizona. A lot of them may not be inside of America. In 2018, what I'm most concerned with is sort of the, this underlying issue of the way that propaganda consistently seems to be using to exacerbate what is already terrible polarization in this country between Republicans and Democrats. I, I think that we will see more granular usage of propaganda against people of color, against women, but also uh, from one party to the other, abortion, uh, gun, gun rights, gun control, gay marriage marijuana legislation, all of these hot-button issues in American politics will see propaganda get leveraged both for and against them. How small of a race do you have to be to not have a bot problem at this point? Is it mayor? Is it governor? Is it city council? There's been a democratization of computational propaganda. And I know I, I understand that there's some irony there in that statement, but almost anyone can use this stuff. Bots are easily buyable by almost anyone. If you're a mayor of a big city, then you should probably expect to see some degree of propaganda being spread about the race. If you're running for city council, like I think that it's a matter of time before it spreads to those places, and so we, we have our work cut out for us. Let's talk about Russia for a minute. What percentage is originating outside the country, and what percentage is homegrown? 
a very small percentage of what we see on Twitter and Facebook comes from Russia. So if you build bot accounts and if you use bots and if you use actually what we call cyborgs, so human slash bot run accounts where a human can step in and provide more nuanced conversation, you can actually have much more of an effect. You can be more persuasive. Um, that said, like, I do think the Russian aspect of this is the tip of the iceberg. And in some ways, I think that our focus as a nation upon Russian propaganda is something of a false flag. And not only that, it benefits Russia. So the reason I believe that is that Russia uses propaganda and the Russian Compromat platform is basically built to sow confusion and to create fear. It's a Cold War tactic. Uh, and the goal is to get people to pay attention to the fact that Russia is producing propaganda during an election and to get them to be scared. And if that is the goal, it was wildly successful during the 2016 election. A tremendous amount of the propaganda and disinformation that we see in the United States is homegrown. It comes from people within the United States who are savvy computer users. There's a lot of people who know how to build bots. There's a lot of people who know how to use advertising mechanisms to raise money. And so we've got to focus on this as a systemic problem. Um, transnational manipulation of elections is a problem, and it's illegal in this country. But domestic manipulation of elections, when you have people driving up traffic massively in a very artificial way around a particular idea, or when you have people massively amplifying harassment of journalists using propaganda, that's a problem that we have to address with our own laws and our own regulations. It's a problem that the social media companies have to begin to address, not just piecemeal. So Facebook and Twitter can't just deal with this by themselves, which is what they've tried to do so far. They have to deal with this as a trans-platform issue. A meme or a piece of propaganda might begin on 8chan or 4chan, spread to Reddit, then go to Twitter, and then go to Facebook, and then show up as a video on YouTube. That's tactical, and that's fact. And so if we're only spending our time trying to combat this on Facebook, where we spend a lot of our attention lately as a US, as a US government and a US populace, we're failing. Because this actually has its roots in places on the internet that politicians don't even know exist. I'm not a political scientist by any means, but <laughs> one of the things I... I understand about politics is the power of disgust as a tactic and the power of confusion as a tactic. Like if you can amplify those things, you can do things like drive down turnout. Um, and it seems like it's generally a tool for the incumbency, although not always, but it seems like this is the sort of thing which could directly impact the amount of disgust voters are feeling in a given race. Like this could single-handedly turn a race from being a clean race to a filthy race. Yeah, I spend a lot of my time trying to point that out to people. I think you're spot on. The goal of dis misinformation and of fake news is not just to get you to change your political opinion. It's not to try to get you to see articles you didn't see before. It's to make you disgusted, and it's to make you confused. And by doing that, it's to kick you out of the electoral process. And so I think that Americans should be really vigilant about not letting this stuff get them down turn up to vote the amount of pollution and confusion means that not only are people changing how they think about things 
but they're also becoming disenchanted about politics. And so the end goal, actually, of a lot of this propaganda, in my mind, and actually my research has borne this out in conversations with people who build bots and who, who use these tactics for political campaigns, they have said the end goal is to make people not vote. Um, and there was actually a meme that circulated during the 2016 election that had a picture of Hillary and was sent out to people in swing states, uh, by and large, that said you can vote via text. Okay. So if that's where we are for 2018, where are we for 2020? Long term in 2020, I think that we'll start to see more action, uh, more people running interference, um, better tools being built to identify bots. I think that we need them. And I, I also think that at a local level, the more the more that state governments engage in attempting to address this stuff, the better things will get. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. Thanks for coming on, Sam. So after I recorded this interview with Sam, I kept looking at online conversations on Twitter or even at the bottom of articles and wondering how much of the conversation was real and how much of it was just designed to wind me up. A couple days ago, there was a story about a company that was making a video game about mass shootings in schools. Now, this is obviously a couple weeks after two horrible mass shootings in this country, and it's a really offensive idea. Well, the end of that story, which didn't get quite as much news coverage, was that the game got pulled, and that the company was based in Russia. It's probably healthy to be skeptical about what we're seeing online, and even who we're talking to online. But I think until we get deeply skeptical of that feeling of outrage which modern political coverage gets us, we aren't going to see the end of this problem. Make sure you subscribe to Bots and Ballots on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For Bots and Ballots from Yahoo News, this is Grant Burningham. <laughs>